Welcome to Pediagogy. I'm Tammy. And I'm Lydia. And we're pediatric residents at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento. This podcast reviews common conditions in children to enhance our knowledge and the knowledge of other residents, medical students, and any other interested learners. With that, let's delve right into the case. For our case today, we got a call from a parent. Hi, my son is five weeks old. He's been feeling warm and has been fussy all day. I just checked his temperature and it was 101.3 degrees Fahrenheit. He hasn't been eating really well and has been less active over the last day. What should I do? Well, this sounds like a case of fever in young infants, which is our topic for this episode. We're going to be covering the management of fever in well-appearing babies younger than two months. This is important because the AAP released new guidelines on this particular topic in August of 2021. Lots of studies have shown that we can't reliably predict if a young infant has a serious bacterial infection just based on how the infant looks. Oftentimes, febrile babies can look great, and they might just have a mild viral respiratory infection, or URI, or they might have a serious bacterial infection like a urinary tract infection, or UTI, bacterial meningitis, or bacteremia. In fact, one study published in 2017 from the Pediatric Emergency Care Applied Research Network, aka known as PCORN, looked at nearly 5,000 febrile infants less than 60 days old and found that clinical suspicion and one of the main clinical decision tools we were using to identify infants with serious bacterial infections wasn't very accurate, meaning basically we needed better ways to identify kids with serious bacterial infections. Procalcitonin has been a game changer and it is allowing us to avoid unnecessary medical interventions while preventing missed serious bacterial infections. The new AAP guidelines also referenced much of the work of the PCARN group, and it was actually co-authored by one of our own UC Davis faculty, Dr. Nate Cooperman. We have some great pediatric emergency medicine faculty that are at the forefront of EM research here, including people that are part of the PCARN network. Yeah, and we're definitely lucky to learn from the experience. Let's start with when you can use these guidelines. The guidelines are for babies eight days to two months of age who have fevers, which is defined as 38 degrees Celsius or greater, or 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit, measured rectally, but otherwise look well and are born at term, meaning 37 weeks and greater. So if you have a preterm baby, meaning someone born before 37 weeks of gestation, or a baby that looks septic and awful, these guidelines don't apply. You don't need a guideline to know what to do with an ill-pairing infant. There are other exclusions like infants with immunodeficiency, congenital abnormalities, or infants whose moms have an infection. Also, if you have high clinical suspicion for HSV or the infant has a source of infection like cellulitis or bronchiolitis, you shouldn't apply these guidelines. And the last exclusion is for infants who've received their immunizations in the last 48 hours because we know that that can cause low-grade temps. Yeah, correct. So the researchers also found that there are differing rates of invasive bacterial infections in different age groups, and thus adjusted management recommendations based off of that. So we have three different guidelines for babies aged 8 to 21 days, or 1 to 3 weeks, 22 to 28 days, or 3 to 4 weeks, and 29 to 60 days of age, so the 4 to 8 week olds. So what about the babies less than 8 days old? Babies under 8 days of age were not included in the current guidelines because they have significantly higher rates of infection, including early versus late-onset group B strep, or GBS, bacterial infection, and thus should get the full sepsis workup regardless of any additional factors. You should pay particular attention to the maternal delivery history given the GBS status, labor duration and rupture of membranes, and if antibiotics were given to the mom during labor. It's also important to know if an infant is premature or had low birth weight because this can also increase the risk of infection. Quick trivia question, Tammy. Which bacteria do you think is the most common cause of meningitis in kids less than six months? 
Um, I remember group B shrub and listeria. And I would guess maybe E. coli because E. coli is always the answer. Perfect. GBS is still the most common cause of neonatal meningitis, but rates have decreased with prenatal screening and perinatal antibiotics. E. coli is the most common cause of bacteremia. Listeria isn't super common, but it's still one that we want to cover when we choose antibiotics. Yeah, and I guess I should have also said herpes simplex virus or HSV, especially if the mom has a history of lesions. Yeah, that's a really good point. But we should also consider it if the baby has any concerning lesions that look like vesicles or mucous membrane ulcers, if they have seizures, hypothermia, or just like certain abnormal lab findings like leukopenia, thrombocytopenia, an elevated ALT, or a CSF pleiocytosis, but negative gram stain. Okay, so let's start with the 29 to 60-day-old guideline, as this is the group with the largest number of patients and therefore the greatest opportunity to decrease unnecessary lumbar punctures, which we'll refer to as LPs, and admissions. So for our five-week-old with our initial case with a fever, assuming he's well-appearing and doesn't have any focal source of infection, or any other contraindication for using this guideline, we would start with a urinalysis, or UA, and blood inflammatory markers, meaning a CBC, or a complete blood count, with differential, CRP, or C-reactive protein, procalcitonin, and blood culture. We'd only get the LP if the inflammatory markers are elevated. And there's specific cutoffs for elevated inflammatory markers. So that means the procalcitonin has to be greater than 0.5 nanograms per milliliters, and the CRP has to be greater than 20 milligrams per liter. The ANC, which stands for absolute neutrophil count cutoff, is greater than 4,000 if you have procalcitonin available, and greater than 5,200 if you don't. The values of ANC of 4,000 and procalcitonin were determined based on a PCARN study, and the ANC value of the 5,200 was determined by the Aronson study, which did not have procalcitonin available. So here's a snippet from our conversation with Dr. Cooperman about which inflammatory markers matter in deciding if you need to do an LP or not. You know, it, what it really breaks down uh, to, Tammy, is whether in your evaluation you got procalcitonin or not. The guideline doesn't make it as clear as it should be. That is, you know, they talk about height of temperature as an inflammatory marker, and it's written in there, temperature greater than 38.5. That's mm-hmm. an inflammatory mark that's important. Well, you know what? That's only important if you don't have procalcitonin because the two new age prediction rules, which are the step-by-step rule that you probably read and the PCARN rule, they both have procalcitonin in there. And when we looked at all the predictors of serious spectral infection, height of temperature didn't factor in once you have procalcitonin. But if you don't have procalcitonin available to you, then... You know, the urine, the neutral count, and the height of the temperature are important. So those biomarkers, really important to know. And the big stratifying uh, factor is, do you have procalcitonin available to you? And if yes, you use the PCARN rule or step-by-step, and the height of the fever doesn't matter. Or if you don't have procal, then you use what you have available to you, which is urine, ANC, if you have CRP, some places might have CRP, but not Procal, and height of temperature are important. So basically, if Procalcitonin is not available, we use the ANC of greater than 5200 and consider a temperature greater than 38.5 degrees Celsius or an abnormal UA result as elevated inflammatory markers to consider when deciding to perform an LP. However, when you do have the Procalcitonin available, you should use it and disregard height of temperature 
or the UA result. Procalcitonin particularly increases specificity for serious bacterial infections and decreases the use of LPs and hospitalizations compared to the Philadelphia rule, which we relied on for many years and had recommended LPs for everyone less than eight weeks old with fevers. Yeah, that's right. I do remember that. So the guidelines on admission versus home observation can be confusing, but for this infant, the bottom line is if they have elevated inflammatory markers, they need to be admitted for IV antibiotics and wait for blood cultures to avoid missing bacteremia, regardless of the initial CSF results. So if the blood culture or CSF analysis is positive, obviously you treat with antibiotics. But if the CSF results are uninterpretable or you can't get the CSF because, hey, we've all been there, then you should also still give antibiotics and admit the patient. Yeah, say the initial lab workup of the blood inflammatory markers in the UA are normal. Then we don't need to get an LP, and this group of patients can be observed at home without antibiotics if they have reliable follow-up with their pediatrician within 24 hours and can quickly and easily return to the emergency department. You can also send them home without antibiotics if parents understand the need to promptly bring their baby back if there's any clinical change. Great. So that's the guidelines for the babies 29 to 60 days old. Before we move on to the other age groups, let's quickly cover what a normal UA means. So for these guidelines, that means no leukesterases and less than five white blood cells per high power field in a centrifuged urine specimen, which at UC Davis, all of ours are. If your institution doesn't centrifuge the urine specimens, the cutoff would be 10 white blood cells per high power field. So if you have either leukesterases or white blood cells, then you should consider it a positive UA and you should obtain a urine culture via an in-and-out catheterization if you got your urine analysis sample via bag and treat for a UTI. Okay, so let's move on to the next age group, the 22 to 28-day-olds, meaning between 3 to 4 weeks of age. So same as the older group, we do obtain a CBC with diff, a CRP, a procalcitonin, urine analysis, and blood culture, and then get the LP if elevated inflammatory markers or a high concern for HSV and then send a cath UA or urine culture if the UA is abnormal. But different from the older age group, if all inflammatory markers were normal, then the lumbar puncture is plus or minus up to provider discretion for these 22 to 28-day-olds. Yeah, and that's because the prevalence of bacterial meningitis in the 22 to 28-day-olds is enough that the risk versus benefit of an LP should be considered and discussed. This is compared to the older infants in whom bacterial meningitis is much less frequent. Like we talked about earlier, in these older infants, if all inflammatory markers are negative, then the LP is not recommended. So for the 22 to 28-day-olds, however, you need to inform the parents that if a LP is not done, then their child will have to be hospitalized for observation, whereas if an LP is obtained, then they might be able to be observed at home if the initial results are negative. So say our pricalcitonin was high and we got the LP. If the CSF shows a lot of white blood cells, so pleocytosis, or it was a traumatic tap and therefore difficult to interpret, then you should admit and start empiric antibiotics until blood culture and CSF culture are negative for 24 to 36 hours. Hospitalization and antibiotics should be started if any initial lab was abnormal, meaning ANC, CRP, Procal, UA, or CSF analysis, or like Tammy just said, if you just weren't able to obtain an LP. So now, if all the labs were normal in this 22-28 day old infant, then the question of antibiotics depends on whether the patient is hospitalized or not. This has to be based on careful shared decision-making between the clinician and the parents, and there must be follow-up within 24 hours if a patient is going to be managed at home. So if the patient is hospitalized and they have normal initial labs, then you can hold off antibiotics because they're being closely monitored 
And you can start the antibiotics at any time if the cultures become positive or if there's any clinical changes. But if the patient isn't hospitalized, then they should get antibiotics before they go home in case any cultures turn up positive to prevent any delays in antibiotic treatment. Okay, and last but not least, let's review the guidelines for an 8 to 21-day-old. What kind of workup should we be getting, Tammy? At this age, the kids are young and at high risk for serious bacterial infections. So we're extra careful and we get a urinalysis with the urine culture if the UA is abnormal, the blood culture, and a lumbar puncture. And then we admit for antibiotics while we wait for the cultures to result. 90% of HSV infections happen in the first three weeks of life, which is partly why we get an LP for HSV studies in addition to bacterial studies in all babies of this age group. Now, some of you might be asking, what about the CBC, the ProCal, or the CRP? The other age groups got them, but because these 8 to 21-day-olds are going to be admitted for IV antibiotics and monitoring no matter what, the ProCal and CRP don't really change your initial management. However, they can be useful for ongoing management like antibiotic duration, and a CBC with leukopenia or thrombocytopenia could raise your suspicion for HSV. So it's not unreasonable to obtain them when you're poking a kit for blood culture. Okay, so say everything has come back normal for our infant in this 8 to 21-day group. The urinalysis was clean, the white blood cell count was 4,000, our patients hospitalized on antibiotics, and the blood culture and CSF culture have no growth to date. What do we do now? If the blood culture and CSF are negative at 24 to 36 hours and the kid looks well, you can stop the antibiotics and discharge them home. This is important because it's shorter than the 36 to 48 hour rule out that we used to do. Studies have shown that most bugs that will cause a true bacterial infection will grow within 36 hours, so we've been able to cut down on the time of observation. We should also talk about what antibiotics to use. For the 8 to 21 day olds, the AAP recommends ampicillin plus gentamicin or ceftazidine for UTIs or if no focal infection is identified. If you suspect bacterial meningitis, however, you should be using ampicillin and ceftazidine. The ampicillin covers listeria, GPS, and gram-positive bacteria, while the gentamicin or ceftazidine covers the E. coli or the other gram-negatives. For patients older than three weeks, meaning that 22 to 28 and 29 to 60 day old window, the AAP recommends ceftriaxone for UTIs or if the source of infection is unknown. For bacterial meningitis, we usually give ampicillin and ceftazidime for that 22 to 28 day age range, and ceftriaxone or ceftazidime with vancomycin for the 29 to 60 day olds. Remember that we don't use ceftriaxone before three weeks of life due to the risk of hyperbilirubinemia. I remember that from an Anki flashcard deck back in the day. I'll also add that vancomycin is part of the empiric therapy due to the possibility of ceftazidime-resistant strep pneumonia, and it should be discontinued if any organism other than strep pneumonia is identified. Cool. So that pretty much sums up the two-month and younger febrile infant guidelines. We know that it's a lot, so definitely feel free to listen to it again and look at the tables in the AAP guidelines to make sure you really understand them. So in brief summary, for the younger than three-week-olds, we do the full workup, including LP, to assess for bacterial meningitis or HSV, and we start empiric antibiotics with acyclovir if there's any HSV risk factors. Any infant older than that, we get urine and blood for cultures and inflammatory markers to decide whether or not to also perform an LP on the child. If hospitalized and antibiotics are indicated, we can treat empirically for 24 to 36 hours with ampicillin slash gentamicin, ampicillin slash ceftazidime, or ceftriaxone alone, depending on the infection and age group. That's all for this episode. You can find additional information in the podcast description and our social media resources. 
Please rate and subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter at PediagogyPod. That's P-E-D-I-A-G-O-G-Y-P-O-D. Special thanks to Orlando Mogania for podcasting production support and Dr. Su Ting Lee and Dr. Lena Vanderlist for supervision. We are supported by funding from the UC Davis Medical Center Department of Pediatrics and the Western Association of Pediatric Program Directors. 